day of your birth, Jesus, we celebrated together as a family, the church. We want to honor you and praise you. I said earlier, Chambers said that faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am physically delivered or not, I will stick to my belief in God and His love. There are some things only learned by a recurrence. There are many stories of deliverance in the Bible. The story of Rahab, for example, in Joshua 2 through 6. She's a broken woman looking for deliverance life of a prostitute. She helps hide the spies of Israel and ultimately she gets delivered through faith. The Lord and her faith in the Lord and the faith and trusting in what God's going to do. Joshua 6 says that they were burned the city with fire and everything in it, only silver and gold, the vessels of bronze and of iron. They put into the treasury the house of the Lord, but Rahab the prostitute in her father's household story of David, a man who was after God's own heart. He had many stories of deliverance. One of them was he had the story of a giant being defeated by David. So he had deliverance there. There's also a story of David where he sleeps with his best friend's wife. He then murders him.
my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble fear and be glad. Humility was the first thing that stuck out to me when I started studying this. David talks about the humble person here. And in verse 18, he talks about this, of this passage, the one who's poor in spirit. It's the same word as humble. It's the idea of the afflicted, the meek, the humble person. Proverbs 33, 34 says this, and I was hoping Kyla was here because I'm going to actually quote from the KJV. Surely he is scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. And that word lowly in Hebrew is humble. A.W. Tozer once wrote, The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He's accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is weak and helpless as God declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is, in the sight of God, of more importance than angels. In himself, to the greatest meek person to ever live in this world in a minute, but ask yourself the question, am I humble enough to see the Lord as my deliverer? Or am I arrogant enough to think that I can do this life on my own accord? I can tell you I'm not good enough. I make mistakes all the time. I need a Savior from my past. But that's the reason for the season that celebrate Christmas because of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. We more than deserve it. I was watching a documentary recently with my kids, my wife. It's called The Star of Bethlehem. Very intriguing documentary. About an hour long and you can watch it for free on YouTube. It's all about the Star of Bethlehem. Was it really a star? What did it look like? And the guy who did it put it into perspective and he showed you exactly the days. And it was kind of interesting to see that on December 25th, one BC, they actually think that Christ was born that day. And it shows a star in the sky in Bethlehem. It's a very interesting story. And it's a very humbling story, too, when he talks about the birth of Jesus Christ. That's really what we're doing today. We're going to see a deliverer, the greatest meek, humble person, the poor in spirit, afflicted person who's ever lived. And it's about Jesus Christ. And so verse 3 actually says this in the psalm, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. There it is again, deliverance. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encompasses and camps around those who fear him and delivers them. There it is again. 
blessings to receive from the Lord is good. Blessings the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers and wants and hungers. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? How do you trust this command? How do you and I trust this command in being what he said he was going to be, in doing what he said he was going to do? Some of the most interesting things I've seen on TikTok recently and on YouTube shorts recently, and maybe it's because it's Christmas time, is that people actually don't believe that Jesus was real. They don't trust that he actually was born. That there's not enough evidence to prove that Christianity is a real religion. They actually will tell you that Christianity stole things from other religions. You can go back to all these different areas in ancient history, and you can find where Christians took parts from different stories and made it seem like Jesus did these things. The problem with all of that is there's no evidence for it. Not one shred of evidence is true that the Christian story actually was stolen from anybody. Most of the evidence that we find, they stole it from Christianity and rewrote it about their histories. There was never before Jesus Christ a resurrection story. Never once. But they claimed that there was. There was never once a story about a virgin birth. The best you can come up with is Astrazerianism, which actually says a person, their, their God, was born of a rock. Kind of interesting. Born of a rock. So how do I trust with this delivery? How do I trust that Jesus is who he says he is? Well, there's three things to remember that David just told us about that we can trust in this deliverer. When it comes to the Lord and his deliverance of us, number one, we can praise his name. Verse 3, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. We need to give him praise for all things. Whether it's good or it's bad, ultimately Christians don't lose heart. Because we can actually praise God. Did you know that in certain religions around the world, you can't even ask God questions? You can't go to God and ask Him questions. In Christianity, you can go to God not only and praise Him, but you can ask Him. And He will deliver you. He will answer you. He is listening to us. What an amazing gift from a God who cares. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's 2 Corinthians 4. us something that we can hold on to, something we can be finding tangible as we praise His name, that we have something in heaven that's eternal, that we can praise. We 
entrance into heaven. And it's going to be glorious. That's the first thing we can do. The second thing we can do is we can seek and pray. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears, David wrote. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. We need to seek and ask of God. That's one of the most important things we can do. Jesus even says it in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7 of Matthew, that when you knock, the door's going to be open to you. That when you seek, you're going to find answers. That when you ask, He will be there to give something to you. What do you and I can do, church? Maybe some of us fear death. Tertullian, a third century church father, said this about death. It's a poor thing to fear that which is inevitable. What do you and I can do? What do you and I worry about most? Is it money? Is it our jobs? Some of us are losing it. I just, I, I'm, a fear, I'm fearful of that being that says to me, I love you so much, I know everything you're going to do, and I'm going to have you account for all of that. Need not be fearless. Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We need not be Anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell at the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is our provider. We who know him, if not, I'm here to stay, to, to tell you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Remember, Christianity is one measure short of another measure of really goodness. That's all it really is. Nothing more than that. If you want to stop doing the things that cause you trouble, then I would suggest you look at what God says to you in verse 13 of today's psalm. He says this, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Here it is again, church. He's our deliverer. And we can do some certain things in this world. We can actually practice this way of living. We don't have to lie. We don't have to cheat. We don't have to steal. I remember when I was a director of human resources, people would come to me and I'd order in pens a lot. I'd ask them, I said, why am I ordering pens to make sure their service is good? How are they running out of pens? And I wasn't ordering the cheap pens. I was ordering these gel pens. Remember the printing equipment, the GT gel pens? I love those things. I mean, they have, they're, they're, that's like Cadillac pens. And I'd order a bunch of these. You'd get them from like Staples or Office Max or whatever, and I'd order a box of a hundred. And it'd be like every other week I'd have to order more. And I'd be like, what's going on? And I remember walking up to one of the ladies, the managers, and I said, hey, I keep ordering and spending couple hundred bucks every week on pens. Why do you seem to keep running out of them? And then I started watching these people. I'm not, not, I'm not managing this guy, but I'm watching these people and they're putting them in their pockets and I'm like, dude, that's for work. And they'd be like, oh, well, I really like these pens. I'm taking them home. And we had a pretty big patient care service department. I'm like, guys, I can't keep buying all these things. Like, well, we're not really stealing them. You kind of are because I have to keep ordering them. Like, I'm not trying to be mean or a stickler, but please stop taking them home. Like, we really like them. I know, that's why I keep buying them. But, but people don't realize sometimes that we steal and not even know we're stealing. And if we want to do something different in this life, we need to practice this way of living to not lie and cheat and steal. Why should we practice this way of living? 1 Peter 3, 8 tells us this. He's quoting the psalm, by the way. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good things, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. There he is quoting the psalm. For the eyes
eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears are open to the righteous, and they're open to his prayers. For the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be in trouble. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord as all as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is one of our core verses in my seminary that we were doing at Holocaust. Always be prepared to give an account for why you do good and the hope that you have, doing it with gentleness and respect. And then it was 2 Corinthians 10 where we talked about we're destroying every argument and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Paul tells us to destroy every argument and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. People tell me, oh, Christians, you guys should stop arguing with people. No, no, we're called to argue with people. We're called to destroy opinions that say that God's not real. Go look it up. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. And then we would use this, do it with gentleness and respect. Sometimes I fail at that. Well, I'm going to be honest. I fail at that a lot. I'm only about the gentleness and the respectful aspect of that. But here's the beauty of it. He says this, having a good conscience. Why is that important? So that when you are slandered, because you're going to be slandered for doing this, you're going to get picked on. If any of you have Facebook, you can go onto my account and you can read that I'll post things and I will argue with people and I will discuss stuff with people. Try and do it as gently and as respectfully as possible. And man, do they slander me. It's amazing. It's amazing. When you are slandered, those who avow your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We need to practice this way of living, church. Especially during this season. sitting down in the restaurant and there was no one there. And I kept thinking to myself, why is no one here? What's going on? And then you could just see everyone was scrambling to get the food out, to get the drinks out, to get all the things out. And I realized no one was working. So our waiter came up and he was giving us some drinks. And it was over at Pepe given us pops, and, and we're just sitting there, and I'm watching all this, and he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off, and I said to him right at the end, and I asked him to check, I said, thank you for working for me. I truly appreciate that. He's like, oh yeah, no big problem. And then I made sure to tip him at least 30%. I think I tipped him 20%. Because it's so hard. I mean, it's nice for you to say thank you, but it's really awesome to give that big tip. So I gave him, I think it was a 20% tip because of how hard he was willing to work. And that's what we need to be doing. We need 
practicing this way of living. When we're done here today, if you go out to lunch uh, or, or if you're going to go back home and stay home with your family, love each other well. Take care of each other. Practice these things. It's not easy, but it is imperative that we help each other try to live this way in life. That as the church, collectively, we need to encourage one another. We need to build other people up. My poor wife, before the snowmageddon happened, went to Meyer. We prayed for her that day. We prayed as a family. We got together in a big circle and sang Kumbaya. But as my poor wife went, she said, I'll be back soon. story I've ever heard. There was this poor woman. I don't believe her name was Karen. But she was so mad at how long the lines were. And there was a line where if you scan all your groceries in your app, and then you can go to this little checkout area. It's a special little area in fire. You know this area I'm talking about? Well, this lady saw that that line was short, so she got in that line. And the, the woman there is like, man, this is for people who scanned all their stuff with their app. Did you do that? She's like, no. Well, then you can't be in this line. She's like, I'm going to be in this line. And so I guess she stood in that line until she got up there, and then she goes to check out. And she ran her cart through this poor woman who was working there. And they had to call a manager over, and he's like, man, you can't do that to our people. And she's like, I so they pushed her ahead of everybody else in this giant line just to get her out of the store. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, Lord, I pray that you reach this woman somehow, some way, that you would show her her ways and that she wouldn't treat people this way. And I was thinking, how many people get away with acting this way? It's kind of scary. Have you met any politicians recently? the next part is all about the greatest humble person ever to live, and it's why we celebrate today. It says this, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's what Jesus does. Many are the afflicted, O righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Isn't that kind? He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Now that's a about Jesus and his death. He says this, verse 21, Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That's a beautiful promise from God. Jesus Christ is born. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit.
sorry. It ain't easy. In fact, when you become a Christian, many are irreplaceable. Whether it's health, whether it's people arguing with you, whether it's people getting mad at you, whether it's the fact that you drive 500 miles an hour in a snow because you have a truck,
Now, we can know that this is true because Paul tells us in the New Testament, in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for our sins, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Here's the beauty. The greatest refuge and deliverer is Jesus Christ. And that's why we praise Him today. That's why we sing these songs today. That's why I love Christmas. Because it sets in motion the beginning of it all. The greatest day that we celebrate, obviously, is the resurrection. But I truly love Christmas because the gift that God gives to us with His own Son. We need to praise Him. We need to sing the great in Him. And ultimately, we need to find our refuge in Him because He is our deliverer. And that's what I'm calling all of us to do today as we celebrate His birth. Praise Him. Seek Him. Pray to Him. And ultimately, find your refuge in Him because He is our deliverer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We praise You for today. You are the greatest gift ever given as Your Son to us. As many of us are going to go home and we're going to open presents and we're going to give good gifts to each other, the greatest thing we can give is the, the joy of this Christmas season. The joy of knowing that you came to us, that you delivered us. Help all of our kids to understand that. Help all of us to understand that every day. That's why we call this gift you give us that we're living in the present. We'll have our pasts. We've been forgiven. We'll have our futures. We'll know how long that's going to be. We thank you for that. We thank you for giving us the present day. That's why it's the greatest gift. Help us, Lord, to see you as our deliverer. To see you as our greatest refuge.